Well, turning your Bibles to Matthew 23, Matthew chapter 23, we're continuing our study of the gospel of Matthew, and Matthew, as you know, as we've been seeing, presents Jesus as the king of the Jews. We're now in that final week of his life. He's, uh, he's in the temple area, and he's teaching. He's been confronted by the religious leaders. Uh, they asked him all these kind of trick questions, and he answered every one of them, and then he asked them a question that they couldn't answer, and at that point, it says that they decided that nobody was going to ask him any more questions, and in this this passage this morning, and it'll be next week as well, because it's a little bit longer passage, Jesus actually gives his, his what we'd say, his, his final public message. And he talks to the crowds, he talks to his disciples, and he actually talks to these religious leaders, and it's about the, the scribes and the Pharisees. Now let me show you something. He actually calls these religious leaders hypocrites, and he says they're leading others astray. Now that would be a pretty strong statement. What if somebody said to you, you know, you're a hypocrite and you lead people astray. They pretended to be something that they weren't. This morning, Jesus pronounces pronounces judgment on these religious leaders. And if you study scripture, these are the harshest and strongest words that Jesus uses, best we can tell from when he was in his ministry. Jesus never attacked sinners. When people came to Jesus and basically said, we've fallen short, I I can't even lift up my head, depart from me, oh Lord, I'm a sinful man, all of those kind of things. He loved people. The only time he really got on people were the religious leaders who thought they were already holy and righteous and they didn't need anything. And so we'll see it as we go through our passage this morning. When I was in Starkville, Mississippi, which is a long time ago, and while I was coaching at Mississippi State, I had a Bible study in my apartment. The apartment wasn't very big, but I had a roommate, and and, uh, we'd have people come over, and they'd come over, I think it was on a Tuesday night, and it was so fun. We had the living room, people were up the steps because it was one of those two-story little apartments, and the kitchen, it was such a fun time. I remember one night we were there and, and a girl came to the Bible study. the first time she ever had come. And it was a girl that some of the people in there knew and they had been praying that she'd come and they'd been invited her, but she'd never came. Of course, this was the summer and she came. And so she came and everybody kind of looked around like she came to the Bible study. And so we had the Bible study and everything went great. And when we get to the end of the Bible study, we'd always say, okay, in the kitchen, there's refreshments. Everybody just hang around. And so people would hang around. Well, well, she was hanging around with everybody else. One of the guys went over to her. And now I have to tell you, it was the summer, and she was wearing uh, kind of like a halter type and these short shorts. And he went over to her, and he said to her, I just want you to know that the clothes that you're wearing are very inappropriate for a Bible study. Next time you come, wear different clothes. She looked at him, turned around, walked out the door, and never came back again. See, the problem was he made the wrong thing, the issue. The issue wasn't what clothes she had. The real issue is, would, does she know Jesus Christ as Savior? See, we didn't know whether she was Christian or not. We were hoping she was going to come. We'd hope we'd get to talk to her. But he made the wrong thing, the issue. And this morning, as we look at this passage, Jesus says the same thing about the religious leaders. He says they make the wrong thing, the issue. In fact, he makes this statement. He says, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel, which is basically saying you're majoring on the minor things and you're missing the important things. It's really sad when we issue on things that we make issues things that aren't important at all. Religious leaders wanted to be exalted. They wanted to be lifted up. They wanted people to think they were holy. Uh, they, they, want, they lived this life of legalism and rules, and they wanted to be special. And we've seen that in Jesus' teaching. There was the contrast between the lifestyle of the religious leaders and what we'd call the proper lifestyle. When you think about it, religious leaders wanted to be exalted. They wanted to be lifted up. They, wanted to, they wore the special stuff in the box in front, and they had the special seats in the synagogues, and they wanted to be called rabbi and all of those kind of things, and they wanted to be lifted up. But Jesus 
Jesus said this. He said, you know, if you really want to be great, greatness is servanthood. Greatness is servanthood. And last time Jesus said about the religious leaders, he said they're hypocrites. And here's what he said. He said, therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. But don't do according to their deeds, for they say things and they do not do them. That's a hypocrite. That's what that is. They place burdens. He even talked last time as we studied. He places burdens on people. They love to be exalted. And uh, Jesus said, don't be exalted that way. Humility is the key. And so he ended our passage last week with verse 12, which basically says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. And so that's the key. With this in mind, now you remember that Jesus is in the temple. He's got his disciples with him. He's got crowds with him. These religious leaders have come and asked him all these questions in front of the people, and he's answered them all. And when he gets through, he then turns to the crowds, and he's going to not only talk to the crowds and his disciples, but to the religious leaders. And what he's going to say is very, very harsh. In fact, this is called the seven woes. Now, if your Bible is like mine, mine's a New American Standard, it's actually got eight, and I'll talk to you more more about it in just a second on why we call it the seven woes. It's the strongest statements. Uh, Jesus, uh, as I said earlier, never got on the, the, the sinners, you might say. He got on the religious people. Let me break down the passage for you. We're going to see the first part of the first two woes really deal with what I call religion without salvation. You know, there's a lot of religious people that do not have eternal life salvation. They're just religious. We'll talk about that. They're leading people astray. The third woe was about oaths, but it was really about not keeping your word. Got to be real careful on this because we say things like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you. And then we never think about it again. So be careful when we say what we're going to do because he talks about oaths and vows. And then the third thing is, as I've got it listed as tithing because that's what he says, but the real issue is making the wrong thing the issue. And that's what we talked about just a while ago. And we'll see those things as we go through the study. So let's start. Look at verse 13. He says, this is Jesus. And he turns, just think about this. He turns to the crowd and the religious leaders and the disciples. And this is what he says. Now, if you were a religious leader, you would not want to have been there at this time. Because look what he says. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. I'm going to stop there for just a second because he starts by calling them a hypocrite. And a hypocrite means a false face. It means to under the mask and what it really means. Hoople means under. Krita means a false or a mask or something. And it means somebody who plays a part. In the old days when they did... Uh, a long time ago when they would do plays and things, a person would put a, a happy face up and they would be the happy person. And so, it, so a hypocrite is a person who lives under a mask. They pretend to be something they're not. And that's what it means, a false face. Hypocrite puts, puts, puts all in a show. And the religious leaders wanted everybody to think they were holy, they were righteous, they were smarter than everybody else. God loved them better than everybody else. And yet, they had legalism and rules and uh, they really weren't that way. And so Jesus says, woe to you scribes and Pharisees. By the way, the word woe is, is it, it means like sad news or oh bad or woe to you, watch out, something bad's about to happen. And he's going to do, he's going to say woe over and over and over again. He says, woe to you hypocrites. The, the religious leaders pretended to be holy. And, and as we start this first one, I, I, this first little section, I like to call it religion without salvation. But I want you to notice something. If your Bible is like mine, you have verse 13, 
Then you have verse 14. In my Bible, this is a New American Standard, has verse 14 in brackets, okay? And then verse 15, and if you notice at the bottom, usually at the bottom of your Bible, it'll say, this verse is not found in early manuscripts. If you have an NIV, it's not listed at all. If you have an ESV, it's not listed at all. There's a little note that says, many manuscripts do not list this. If you have a King James, or I think a New King James, it lists the verse there. And I don't know if it, uh, just be honest, I didn't have time this morning to look to see if it even has a little note about it. So verse 14, we're going to come back to it in a minute. We're going to actually put verses 13 and 14 together, and we'll come back to verse 14 in a minute. But let me, let me tell you what Jesus does in this passage. Seven times he says, woe unto you, religious leaders. Six times he calls them hypocrites. Two times he calls them blind guides. Two times he calls them fools. And one time he calls them serpents or vipers. So it's really strong statements. I mean, you know, when you, when you think about Peter, when he recognized who Jesus was in that boat, and he said, oh, depart from me, O Lord, for I'm just a sinful man. Jesus didn't go, you sure are sinful. You're wicked and... Jesus didn't do that at all. He just loved him. Listen, when you come to Jesus and you humble yourself uh, for salvation and you say, Lord, I, I just, I can't save myself. I know I'm not. I've fallen short of your glory. He loves us and exalts us and saves us. And, and, but when you say, I think I can do my own thing. I think I can make it on my own. That's when Jesus got after him and that's the religious leaders. So let's start. This one is religion without salvation. Look at verse 13. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Why? Because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Now, that's a really strong statement. You know what he actually says? He says, you're stopping people from going to heaven. You're not getting into heaven, and you're stopping people from getting into heaven. So notice he says, scribes and the Pharisees. And, you know, we've talked about them. The scribes were the scholars. I mean, they should have known things. I mean, they were the scholars. They are... Uh, they would study, and if you had a Bible question in those days, you'd go to a scribe and you'd say, what does this mean? And they would look through all their things. And, and the Pharisees, of course, were very legalistic. I, we're not sure. We, we know that they memorized the Bible. I've told, taught this before, but many of the Pharisees had memorized the Torah, meaning the first five books. They could start at Genesis 1-1 and go through the book of Deuteronomy and had memorized all those five books. But that didn't mean anything because you can memorize Scripture and not even be a Christian and, or not be a believer. And the best we can tell, most of these people weren't believers because they were trusting in the law. Look what he says. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people. You shut off the kingdom of heaven. It literally means you're locking off the kingdom. You're stopping people from going. See, one of the worst things that could, anybody could ever say is that you've stopped people from understanding the truth about having eternal life. They were teaching, the religious leaders were actually teaching that the way to God was the law. It was good works. It was works for salvation. We see this all the time. They had law after law after law. There was the 613 commandments, which was actually the Bible, but then they had all of their other things. They had a thing which was, which was called the oral law, and that was their interpretation of the law. It later was written down, was called the Mishnah. And they actually said that the Mishnah had more authority than the Scripture. That'd be like us writing down what we think the Bible says and then says, this is more important than the Bible. That's what they did. And so what they were doing is they were telling people that the law or keeping the rules would get them to God. What they were teaching was not the truth. 
and they were not bringing people to God. In fact, he says, you shut off the kingdom of heaven. That's why it's very important that we always give a grace message of salvation, that we always teach people that salvation is a gift that is not by works, it is simply by faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life. It is a matter of eternal life or death. That's why it's so important. And then notice what he says. He says, you shut off the kingdom of heaven from people, for you do not enter yourselves in front of all the people. Jesus tells the religious leaders, they're not entering entering into the kingdom. They're not believers. They're not going to have. What we'd say, some people today would say, they're not going to get to go to heaven. We'd say they do not have eternal life. The self-righteous leaders were not saved. And Jesus says, you're not entering yourselves, and you're stopping others from entering. See, their righteousness, the religious leaders' righteousness was external. Their actions, it was not, they didn't have, see, eternal righteousness comes by faith, but they had external righteousness. And what they were doing, now understand, these people actually believed that salvation was by works of the law. And that's what they told other people. They were telling the wrong message. This is why I think it is so important that we as a church make sure we are very clear on what is the message of salvation. How does a person have eternal life? We not only want to be clear, but we want to be accurate and we want to be right. And uh, they believe that the law and hard work, they said, they'd say it if you work hard. I found this quote by Luther. I thought it was pretty neat. He said, if salvation was by working hard, then there's a lot of horses and mules are going to be in heaven. And, and they believe that being good, doing good things. Listen, there are people who do the same. There are people who say you have to be baptized. There are people who say you have to uh, repent of your sins. People say you have to make some kind of confession of faith. Some people say you have to keep the commandments. I was listening to a uh, uh, podcast yesterday, and the person at the end said, you must be saved. In order to be saved, you must turn away from your sins and make Jesus the Lord of your life. And what they meant was, you've got to turn away and stop sinning and then agree to serve God. Now, that's works for salvation. That's not a clear message. That's not a message that you trust in Jesus Christ and he gives you eternal life. And so we got to be very careful. Jesus says, you people, these religious leaders, you hypocrites, you're stopping people from entering into the kingdom. You're not going and you're stopping people yourselves. You know, when I think about it, what, what, what are you trusting for salvation? When I think about our body, and I know everybody in here, but, and I, but you know, some people could, could ask, well, what are you trusting for salvation? Is it your works or is it Jesus Christ? You know, what is it? And I want you to understand that this is religion. See, religion is where man tries to do something to please God. is by what man does. And whether it's trying to walk down an aisle or make a public profession or turn away from your sins or agree to serve God or do all these things, that's religion. That's man trying to please God. True Christianity, true salvation is God-pleasing God. It is God who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. Salvation is not by what we do. It is by what Jesus Christ has done for us. I read a great, great quote. It said this, God's acceptance of me is not based on my works or even my sincerity. It is based on Jesus Christ and my faith in him. They have religion without salvation. Look at, the, look at verse 15. Flip down because it's the same issue. He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you travel around on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when, he, and, and when he becomes one, when you add him to your group, so to speak, you make him twice as much as a son of hell as yourselves. He said, you, you travel everywhere to make a proselyte. A proselyte means one who has come over. They would go and they would get people to join the scribes, or they would get people to join the Pharisees. And, and they weren't 
telling them about Christ or about eternal life or about salvation. They were getting them to join their group. It says you go all over the place, and when they become one of your group, you make them twice as much as a son of hell. They really say Gehenna. The Greek word there is Gehenna, which meant the place of fire, and that was the word for hell. If you said go to Gehenna, that's what you'd say. You'd say if you want to go go to hell, go to Gehenna. And so uh, they, they had this religious system. And as J.C. Ryle said this, he was a great Bible teacher. He said they didn't pre- didn't people to God. They, they were seeking to increase the number of their group. We have some of the same things today when people are saying, you have to be this or you have to do this or you have to be willing to do the following things or you have to get baptized or you have to join this church and there's what you have to do and they add all that to it. Go back quickly and look at verse 14. It's really the same issue. It says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, because you devour widows' houses for a pretense, you make long prayers, therefore you receive greater condemnation. Basically, they would say they would go to widows, people who they didn't have anybody to support them, and they would get money from them because they would come in and they would say, we will make prayers for you, and if we make prayers for you, to devour a widow's house means take her money. They would come in and they would say, we will pray for you, and since we're holy and righteous, that'll help you, and widows would give them money. And that's what Jesus is saying in verse 14. So it's the same idea, devour the widow's homes. And he says they'll have the greater condemnation. So we don't want to be one who is religious without salvation. And uh, we must be very clear that salvation is a gift that is not by works, it is faith alone and Christ alone. Many of you have heard of George Whitfield. George Whitfield was a Bible teacher in the 1800s. And uh, he became a believer, but he was... He thought he was a Christian before he became a believer because he thought works is how you were saved before he actually trusted Christ. George Whitfield wrote and said, before his salvation, he said, before my salvation, I fasted twice a week for 36 hours at a time. So I'd go 36 hours without eating. Then I could eat. Then I'd go 36 hours without eating. I would pray seven times a day. I had it marked. He said he had it marked down on when he had to pray. And then he would actually have public worship three times per week. He thought doing all of those things would gain him salvation. And he came to a point in his life where he realized it was Jesus Christ. And so for all of us, we'd say, do we have religion or do we have salvation? So the first thing Jesus really gets on to them about is they were religious but they did not have salvation, and they were leading others astray. We do not want to do that. The second issue is going to be what I call oaths, and that's basically keeping your word. And they would make vows but not keep their word, but an oath is, is to do that. Let me tell you what Jesus said. Jesus said, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything beyond this is evil. Listen, when somebody says, will you do something? Do you have to say, I swear to God I'll do it, or do you, could you just say, I will do it? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Now, I've got to think about this for a minute because we tell, we tell, we tell people things all the time that we're going to do. Will you do that? Yes. Will you do that? No. Can you do that? No. Can you do this? Yes. Or do we say, I promise you I will. Oh, I swear I will. I promise you. When you're a kid, what do you say? I, I cross my heart and hope to die and all this, you know, and, and what you got your fingers crossed behind your back so it doesn't count. And let me tell you, this is exactly what the Pharisees did. They would swear by the temple and then when somebody said, you'll do it, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. He said, but you swore by the temple. They said, doesn't count. What? So look what Jesus says. Look at 
uh, verse 16, woe to you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, that's nothing, but whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. So here's what happened. That, the religious leaders said some vows were not binding. Some were, some weren't. In other words, sometimes you'd keep your word, sometimes you didn't. If you had your fingers crossed, you didn't have to keep your word. That's how we'd say it today. You said you would. Yeah, but I had my fingers crossed. Okay? And one of the things, Jesus said, whenever you say it, guess what? You should keep your word. They said the oath, if you make an oath and swear by the temple, that really doesn't count. But if you make an oath and swear by the gold that you give to the temple, that does count. And so they might say, I swear before the temple in Jerusalem, I'll do that. Then they didn't do it. And somebody said, you swore. He said, didn't count. It was the temple. But if it was the gold of the temple, it counted. Look what he says. Woe to you, God. You swear by the temple. That's nothing. But whoever swears by the gold of the temple is obligated. Look what he calls them in verse 17. You fools and blind men. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that sanctified the gold? They're both the same. They're both the same. Look at verse 18. And whoever swears by the altar, that's nothing. But whoever swears by the offering on it is obligated. Listen to this one. They said if you swear by the altar, it doesn't count. If you swear by the offering, it counts. So in that day, in time, they had the temple, and there was the altar out front. And if they said, I swear by the altar, they'd say, it doesn't count. I said it, but it doesn't count. But if they put some offering on the altar, they had said that it counted. How stupid is that? Look what Jesus says. Verse 19, you blind men, which is more important, the offering or the altar that sanctifies the offering? Now, let me just tell you something. You know what Jesus is fixing to say? If you say you're going to do something, you should do it. Keep your word. We were watching this show the other day. It's called Heartland, and, and these guys make a deal, and they shake hands. And somebody says, well, you know, I can get some papers drawn up. And he said, my handshake's always been enough. His word is enough. Is your word enough? See, we live in a culture that says, I said it, but I didn't have it written down, and the lawyer didn't. And I had some loophole in there that actually said that I could change my mind. Look what Jesus says. Therefore, whoever swears by the altar swears by both the altar and everything on it. Whoever swears by the temple swears both by the temple and by him who dwells in it. That's Jesus. And whoever swears by heaven swears both by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. You know what Jesus is saying? If you make a vow... If you make a promise, if you say you're going to do something, let your yes be yes and your no be no, and you keep your word, and don't say I had my fingers crossed, and don't say I didn't really mean it, and don't say, well, it's not convenient for me right now. Just tell the truth. Be men and women who keep our word. And so look what Jesus says in verse 22, and whoever swears by the heaven swears by both the throne of God and by him who sits on it. Jesus says, if you make a vow or an oath or you swear, you're bound by the vow. You're bound by your oath. So keep your word. It's really easy in our culture to say we're going to do something and then come back and say, well, I didn't really mean that, or that doesn't fit, or I changed my mind, or, well, I just realized that won't work for me. Listen, chapter 23, verse 3, what did Jesus say about the religious leaders? They say things and do not do them. So how is our word? How is our word? Do we do what we say? Are we faithful in this area? Is our yes good enough? Is our no good enough? Are we bound by our word? We live in a society that I said that words oftentimes don't count. Well, it wasn't written down. Well, let's be men and women. 
who keep our word. We get the last one. When I say the last one, the last one this morning, there's still more to go. There's seven of them total, and we're getting the first four this morning. And this, this fourth one is really about tithing. And we say tithing, but it's not really. He's talking about tithing, but it's legalism, and it's making the wrong thing the issue. And in our lives, I'm sure all of us at one time or another, we made the wrong thing the issue. Just like at that Bible study, that guy, he made her clothes the issue rather than whether she knew Jesus Christ or not. Whether than we were so thankful that she actually showed up at the Bible study, he made the issue not where she stood with Christ and was she growing or did she know Christ or did she understand the Bible. He made the issue her clothes. And so we're going to see that in this, he's going to talk about tithing, but it really is did you, you make the issue the wrong thing? Look what he says in verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. So he says, first of all, you you tithe the mint, deal, and cumin. You, under, you understand that the Mosaic Law, a lot of people get confused and they think uh, Mosaic Law uh, was for us because I hear people say, do you believe that you're supposed to tithe and everybody raises their hand and the truth is you're not under a tithe system, you never have been. In fact, under a tithe system, they had to give 10% every year for the widows, 10% every year to the temple, and then every third year an additional 10%. So some years they gave 30%, most every year they gave 20%, and that's not counting their free will offerings. So most people, when you tell them that, they do not want to be under a tithe system because it's 20% every year, 30% every three years, and then extra. And what they were supposed to do is when they got something, first fruits out of the ground, when they had their first animal, whatever it is, they were supposed to offer that. And they were supposed to take a one-tenth of what they had and to give it every year, and then another tenth also, and then every three years, another tenth. But And they would, he said, they would go and they would take these little plants like mint and dill, and cumin, little bitty plants, and they might have 10 little mint plants, and they'd say, i got to give one to God. And they would take that one, and they'd say, I'm giving that to God. He says, you tithe of that, but you miss the important things. You say, I gave one out of my 10 little plants, but I missed justice and mercy and faithfulness. Look what he says. For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and neglected the weightier provisions of the law. You made the most unimportant things important and you made the most important things unimportant. Justice and mercy and faithfulness. It's very strong. Look what he says. You've neglected justice, which means being fair and right. Mercy, which means helping others. And being faithful, which is the idea of consistent. He said, you more worry about whether you got that little plant and took that to the temple rather than show love and justice and mercy to people. Dwight Pentecost, Dallas Seminary professor, when I was there, said this, the same law that demanded the tithe also demanded justice, mercy, and faithfulness. Let me ask you a question. What's really important? What are the important things? Now, we already talked about the importance of a grace message, of salvation, those kind of things. Look what Micah says. He has told you, old man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. What did Jesus say? If you want to be great, be humble. What did Jesus say? Show justice to one another. What did Jesus say? Love one another, be kind to one another. 
This is what it's all about. He says, you worry about this little plant, religious leaders, and you f- overlook being fair and just and righteous and holy and merciful and loving. And then he says the famous statement, which we've heard a lot of our lives. He says, you, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. And it's a joke saying that you, you're not going to get a gnat and drink that, but you'll drink a big old camel because you're not watching what you're doing. You're, you're caring about the little things that don't count, and you're missing the big things that do count. And they, the religious leaders missed important things. They majored on the minors. And by the way, they did oftentimes take their, their water and have a cloth and pour their water through the cloth so the gnats wouldn't be in there. But he's making the joke. He'll, you'll... you'll you won't swallow the net, but you'll swallow the camel. What's important when we deal with people? It, it's not their clothes. It's not their habits. It's not the places they go. It's not the games that they play. It's not some of their issues. The real issue is what will they do with Jesus Christ? Salvation is a gift by faith. Don't make the other things the issues. I, I tell people this. We talked about this in our Thursday morning. Guys, one of the problems I see with Christianity and our culture is they know us for what we're against rather than what we're for. They all say, you're against abortion, you're against this, you're against this, you're against this. And listen, this is what we're for. We're for eternal life. We're for you to have a relationship. We're for you to know the, the living God and, and, and come to him by faith and not works and, and that you can be saved and saved forever. So when we deal with those who do not know Jesus Christ, the issue is not those other things, but what will they do with Christ? Faith in him for eternal life. It's not works or clothes or habits or sins. It's will they trust in Jesus. So what are we saying? We started by seeing these, uh, these seven woes, and we got the first four this morning, and we'll see some more next week, and, and we'll see that he is really getting on these people. And I, I wish... I'll be glad when we get to chapter 24. It's going to be a lot of fun when we get there. But let me give you some applications. The first is this. Let's proclaim the grace message of salvation. Let's proclaim it. Uh, It's faith alone in Christ alone. It is not works. It's so easy to have religion without relationship. Look, I've talked to people all my life. After I became a Christian at 19, I started growing at age 23, 24, 25, 26, all in there, I started growing. From that point on, I've talked to many people who think because they've gone to church or they got baptized or they try to live a good life that they're doing right and they're okay because they're trying to be good people. That's religion without a relationship. That's religion without salvation. It's easy to be religious. Um, I remember telling you the story about the guy that would sometimes clean off a parking lot for us. And I remember going out to him one day and thanking him for, you know, cleaning off the parking lot. And he said something like, I'm not just doing this for nothing. And we talked a little bit. And I said, you know, going to heaven has nothing to do with your works. It's just faith in Christ. And he said, no, no, all this that I do. This is earning me a place with God. And I said, no, it's not. I said, you can stop right now if you want to. No, I'm going to finish it. No, but that ain't, that's not getting you to heaven. Let me just tell you. It's easy to have religion without relationship. What are we telling people? Are we telling them faith alone in Christ alone? Are we telling them something else? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. We are proclaiming salvation by faith alone in Christ alone for eternal life. Let's make sure we do that. Second, let's keep our word. It's binding. Let's keep it. Do what we say. Let, let's be men and women who keep our word. 
that if we say we're going to do something, we do it. If we say we're not going to do something, that's, you know, but let's keep our word. If we say, I'll be there at six, be there at six. Be there early if you can. See, without, without character, people with their words and their actions don't match up. But people with character, their words and their actions match up. And then finally, let's, let's not make the wrong things the issue. Let's not make the wrong things the issue. When you're dealing with an unbeliever, think about this. Don't get off the issues that have nothing to do with salvation. I had a guy come in one time, and he didn't know Christ, so we started talking. But he said, I want to go back to Genesis, and I want to look at Genesis chapter 6 about these. these. I said, you know, there are all kinds of different views on that, but that's not really the issue right now. And then the guy said, well, I want to talk about the gap theory. You know, the gap theory, by the way, y'all, if you don't know what it is, between Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, some people think there's a gap, a big time gap, and they call that the gap theory. And this guy wanted to argue over the gap theory, and I said, you know, that's not the issue. The issue is, what will you do with Jesus Christ? So don't get off on issues that have nothing to do with salvation. We want to clearly proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. Make the issue Jesus Christ and faith in him for eternal life. So as we, as we close today, think about this. Let's examine our lives. Let's don't be hypocrites. Let's keep our word as we proclaim clearly the message of salvation, not getting off of the key issues, but staying on the truth of faith alone in Christ alone.